What is up, everybody? Welcome to Marvel Standom. I am your host with the least, Mike Cicchini, and with me for all time and always, I have Den of Geek TV editors Alec Bajalad and Katie Burt, and Den of Geek News and Features editor Kirsten Howard. And once again, we are exploring the MCU multiverse with another awesome episode of What If, focused on Killmonger. Kirsty, why don't you tell us what happened here? In episode six, we find out what would have happened if Eric Killmonger had rescued Tony Stark from his Ten Rings abduction in the first Iron Man film. Never becoming Iron Man, Tony then brings the seemingly heroic Eric into the fold at Stark Enterprises, where Pepper immediately suspects something is off. It soon becomes clear that Eric has a familiar deadly agenda, and he kills Rhodey, T'Challa and Tony during a quest to infiltrate Wakanda and seize power. But Pepper and Shuri aren't about to let him get away with it. Very good. Uh, and I personally thought this was a very good episode, but it seems like reactions online are a little bit mixed. How did everybody feel about this one? I thought this episode was fine. <laughs> um, That's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> yeah, I think it made me appreciate some of the like cruxes the series has chosen in the past because... It's real divergent point obviously had to do with Tony Stark. And I think it didn't end up affecting the Killmonger character that much. So following that character, because he's such a strong character, was interesting. But he hit basically all the same beats as he did in in Black Panther. It wasn't telling us anything new about this character, I don't think. And I think it was it was in that way a missed opportunity to explore the character in a different way. I also thought it was fine. Um, it's it's similar to the first two episodes of What If, in which we just have Captain Carter taking over for Captain Rogers and seeing how things play out, and T'Challa taking over Starlord and seeing how play, things play out. And in both instances, well, at least the first instance, things don't play out that differently. So yeah, I agree with Katie in the sense that like this, um, the endpoint's not that different from where it goes in Black Panther. Killmonger's story is the same, just with a lot of extra steps. Uh, but it was still fun. I definitely... One aspect of this that I enjoyed was how intensely 2008 it was. I think we forget that Iron Man is a period piece now. And it's just jarring to go back to, like, the now-ended Afghanistan war. Hear Thunderbolt Ross mention the Patriot Act. Um, and see Shuri as, like, a nine-year-old. So those elements were fun, I think. It, it's almost like visiting, like an old-timey era of the MCU, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed the episode. Um, what stuck out to me was that Marvel seemingly loves killing Tony Stark. We've had six episodes of this series so far. He has died in half of them. We've got three left, and I'm taking bets, honestly, at this point. Um, I've actually got a question from our readers here for you guys. Is Tony Stark destined to die in every MCU timeline? I mean, we all are, right? Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. Well, That's pretty philosophical. In, yeah, they have killed Tony in, like, the sacred timeline, or in our, like, in the MCU as we know it. I don't know if that means his death hits less hard here, because the most painful death has already come to pass. Um, or if it doesn't matter, because this is a character that, you know, formed the MCU and is obviously beloved to many, and it is sad to see him die. Although again, here he's just he's he's not he's not the best iteration of Tony Stark. 
are these deaths having less impact now? Is it like uh, the Groundhog Day montage? The Groundhog Day montage without Bill Murray. <laughs> with Bill Murray's brother. <laughs> There's two things I really like about this episode. And one of them, actually, I, I have to disagree with you, Katie. I... I loved Tony in this episode, and I think this this episode kind of reminded me of a lot of things that I liked about Tony Stark at the outset in, in the MCU. Like when we talked about Doctor Strange a couple weeks ago, I like when these characters haven't had their rough edges completely sanded off by, you know, by the MCU tone as a whole, but also by, like, their reputation and the heroism that we've seen in them. And so this is still, in a lot of ways, still like the the pretty unrepentant Tony Stark that we, you know, that that was around through, at least through Iron Man 2, now that I think about it, you know, like Tony didn't really become the, the Tony that everybody cried over when he died in uh, in Endgame until, until the first Avengers film. And here I love that his, you know, his first reaction to meeting Killmonger is like, hey, what's your afternoon like? Which is just like such a corporate dickhead thing to say. It was kind of neat seeing Tony functioning as somebody who is still a rich corporate asshole, but has a strong sense of justice or like has a sense of like what kind of should be happening versus what he doesn't want happening, especially in his name. Not to de-escalate the tension here, which is obviously very high, but I think we I think we agree, Mike. I uh, you know when I say this isn't the best iteration of Tony Stark, I mean you know in the context of like the world and his socials, you know he's not good in the way that we see him um, eventually become good in in the first Iron Man. But as a character, I think he works really well here, and it is interesting to see him. I didn't react very as strongly maybe to what it meant to lose Tony in this episode because. Um, Killmonger delivers my favorite line, I think, from this episode in that moment, which is the difference between me and you and me is you don't see the difference between you and me. Um, so, yeah, I do think they use the Tony Stark character here well. Also, thinking back to how critical the original Iron Man was of the U.S. military, which was not overly critical, but um, I think the MCU has become you know, had those edges um, <laughs> maybe filed down a little bit as well. So to see that that um, theme again in the MCU today was also interesting. I think, you know, like Alec, I was thinking about the end of, of the Afghanistan war and just like how different 2008 was from where we are today, both in terms of like our politics, but also where, you know, where the world is and where the MCU is. I do feel like we're spending a little too much time on Tony Stark, considering that this is very much the Killmonger episode. And this is so significant. This is the first time we've seen Killmonger since Black Panther. This is a character who is generally considered to be the best villain in the history of the MCU. Uh, I personally think so. Yes, I'm even counting Thanos in that. Um, And I wonder if it is, like, somewhat significant because... Ever since Black Panther 2 was announced, and even before Chadwick Boseman uh, died, there were rumors that Marvel was going to try and look for ways to bring back Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger for a sequel. And we haven't really heard any hard information about that. There hasn't been a whiff about that with Black Panther 2. Um, But once again, this is another one of those episodes where I feel like anytime they're centering characters in one of these episodes in particular ways... 
It's to remind the viewing public that there is more to these characters and their stories to tell. And I just wonder if there's anything going on with Killmonger here. It feels like there's interest on both sides because they've included, you know, him here and he seems to have happily come back. So uh, I don't think we should shut the door on Michael B. Jordan coming back to the MCU. Well, as I pointed out, they get they get everybody back for these somehow. So like, I don't know if I would really put that much stock into MBJ coming back because Kurt Russell came back, <laughs> except for Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans, Chris Evans and um, Scarlett Johansson. Like they got everybody. Um, but I'm and always... Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh uh, well, yeah, but she remember when she didn't even remember that she was in Spider Man Far From Home. <laughs> I mean. That's fair, or, though. Or, or, There's a lot yeah, going on. Yeah. This is a good episode for Michael B. Jordan fans, just in general, because there's like a there there aren't very many Marvel Easter eggs in this, but there are Michael B. Jordan Easter eggs. <laughs> like he and Tony both do the the famous wire line: "If you come at the king, you best not miss." And then Killmonger is an anime fan, just like Michael B. Jordan. Something that the TV shows have done pretty well is kind of reclaiming the idea of Marvel villains as, like, comic book supervillains. Because in the movies, when it's relatively short and they don't have, you know, issues and issues and issues of comic runs to, to kind of go over their villainry, they're usually very laser-focused on one task and accomplish that task or don't. Well, it started with Baron Zemo in Falcon and Winter Soldier and now going through Killmonger in this you get some fun mustache twirling and they behave a little bit more like actual supervillains that are capable of, for lack of a better word, villainy. Like he just does villainy in this episode, which I, which I did appreciate. I like getting, despite the fact that it ends in the same spot as Black Panther, I did like seeing some of the extra steps. There's never really a point where it seems like he's in danger of being found out, even with Pepper, you know, like basically onto him from the beginning. Because he, I think he also pinpoints, like, who has power. I was just very impressed. <laughs> he was so cold killing T'Challa. Um, and then I just got so choked up seeing the coffin being brought back to Wakanda. Like, Jesus Christ. It's all too much for me. I know we've got one more Chadwick Boseman performance left, but I, I'm not ready. Like, these are hitting me hard. I had to appreciate, too, when he killed Rhodey, and, you know, Rhodey is, like, trying to reason with him, like, look, you got to be part of the system in order to change it. And Killmonger's like, no, I can just burn it, burn it all down, too. But it's, it's amazing to see that he's already more than adequately demonstrated that he's perfectly capable of being part of the system and changing it from within if he so chose. And that's mm -hmm. kind of like the real moment where you go from, you know, look, Killmonger's got a point. Like, Killmonger's always, like, really had a point. And that, to me, feels like the real moment where it's like, yes, but he is very specifically making a choice to do things a particular way here. And that is the real difference. It's so different from the way I think those, like, you know, where is the line with, with these characters? I feel it's a very different place that we've seen that line drawn, uh, you know, elsewhere in the MCU. I think arguably, too, he is working within the system and that the system is, you know, war, and <laughs> um, which involves killing people. And the thing is, his ultimate goal is not to control the, like, U.S. military system. It's to control Wakanda. 
So, you know, he succeeds in that. Where does uh, this where does this version of Killmonger fall on the uh, the MCU manipulator scale? Uh, I feel like I feel like it's him and Zemo, like kind of at the top of that food chain. But uh, where are we at, Kirsty? You are the uh, the Zemo apologist. Uh, <laughs> where, do you, uh, <laughs> where do you sit with this? Explain yourself. Though. <laughs> um. There was a sick part of me that was uh, overjoyed to see Killmonger <laughs> get to the end of his quest here. Like, uh, I want to see what happens. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I want to see what happens next, honestly. But um, yeah, I think I should stop now before I get in trouble. <laughs> One of his main goals is to is to assume power, and that always comes with complications. But he wants to do it so that he can liberate or whatever like just help the people that he grew up with or the other people are part of like the african diaspora who like have been oppressed that tends to be like the kind of tension or dilemma that is at the heart of a good villain is when they actually have a a noble cause um that needs to be addressed and also when they're fueled from like by very like personal pain that i think it's easy to sympathize and or empathize with so yeah he's such a good he's such a good character this is pretty timely because uh with shang chi and legend of the ten rings in theaters it is kind of nice to revisit the era of you know the introduction of the ten rings what does everybody think about this i wouldn't have been able to tell you what it was before um you know shang chi was announced so it was cool to rewatch. Um, an Iron Man retelling in some way um, and to to have that reference have meaning for me personally. I feel like every new, not, not every era, but the, the MCU is really good about setting the timeline further back uh, because it's, for us it began in 2008 with Iron Man and then by the time you get to Captain America you realize that the superhero game's been going on longer than you thought it was because it started back in World War II. And Shang-Chi in the Ten Rings takes it all back, all the way back to however long um, Wenwu's been alive, which was thousands of years. Uh, so I think it's just a nice intermixing of our introduction to the MCU with um, the, the ultimate beginning of this universe as it is. And I just want to point out one other thing. When T'Challa first shows up in this episode, there is probably my favorite shot in any of these shows so far there's like a slow motion moment of him throwing a punch with his like entire body extended and that looks like it is taken right out of one of the Jack Kirby Black Panther comics where it's like nobody throws punches like that it's just like full extension from the shoulder like you know both legs like like almost like coming out of like a lunge and it is such a cool thing. And considering how, you know, a lot of the other fights, you know, they kind of shift back and forth from like like really practical but stylized things. But it's it's not as comic booky as it always could be. Seeing this, it did feel to me like like a like a one little visual nod to Jack Kirby, uh, which is nice to see for the for the guy who originally brought Black Panther to the page. Pepper's hair looked like croissants. 
<laughs> Alex, like, I need to, I need to get this off my chest. It's, it's part of the animation update. If you go back and watch, just rewatching her, her like Princess Leia is here. Look just like croissants. Do you think there's a reference there? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's just my observation. I'm gonna get breakfast. So. Uh... <laughs> And that is it for another episode of Marvel Standom. Thank you once again for watching. Make sure you hit that follow button. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We are at Marvel Standom. You can also find us at Den of Geek US and at Den of Geek. Make sure you hit our web home of denofgeek.com. You can find all our Marvel coverage just by going to denofgeek.com slash Marvel. And did you know we are on Spotify? You can subscribe to this as a podcast on Spotify. Don't leave us hanging. We want to hear from you. Drop us a line. Marvel Standom at denofgeek.com. We will be back next week talking about everything the MCU multiverse has to offer. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you soon.